Hey everyone, welcome to the Building Bridges, Breaking Barriers podcast, where we seek to span the gap and open the doors of understanding and loving those around us through diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. Hello everyone, welcome to the Building Bridges, Breaking Barriers podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Rogers, and my pronouns are he, him, and I am joined by my friends, Valerie Green and Liana Newman. Uh, thank you both for being on the, the podcast with me today for uh, Transgender Awareness Week. And I'm, I'm really thankful for both of you and for the, the good that you're doing. Um, and I would love for you to be able to introduce yourselves a little bit. Um, Liana, would you be willing to start us off with a little introduction? Yeah. Yeah, happy to. Um, so thanks thanks for having me, Jonathan. It's great to be here. Uh, so yeah, I am Liana. I don't use any pronouns. I just ask folks to use my first name. Um, and uh, I guess a little bit about me. Um, my family is from Guyana and Jamaica, so I am Black and Caribbean. I work as a software engineer. I'm a, a miniaturist, so I like to build and do a lot of crafting things but specifically dollhouse miniatures and I'm a big Harry Potter fan I do not associate JK Rowling with Harry Potter I am just a Harry Potter fan I like the world Uh, and that (laughs) is me (laughs) awesome thank you Valerie so hi uh, Valerie Green Uh, indeed thanks for having us on here this evening Um, I am a transgender woman uh, widowed married uh, before that for 34 years father to five kids and grandpa to six grandkids 36 years in it uh doing everything from uh, system design and development all the way through administration and test everything you can do in it uh, been doing that for as i said for quite some time i am an avid tennis player and uh, currently play, well, right now I'm not playing uh, until January, but currently play on several uh, women's USTA teams. And that's the thing that brings me the most joy. Thank you both. And I love that we're all in IT. I think that's something that unifies all of us. And um, I, I've i got to know Liana back in, I think it was June or July, we had an LGBTQ panel um, at work. And it was, it was really nice getting to do that together. Um, and Valerie and I, we've, uh, I've been following Valerie for, for quite some time and learned so much from her, um, in the spaces that we're in, uh, online. And so thank you both for being on here and, and, and for introducing yourselves. Um, before we get into a little bit more about your stories and about you, um, I wanted to go over some basic definitions for our listeners uh, they may not. Some of our listeners may not be aware of what chan- transgender means, or non-binary, or other terms. And and so I wanted to pass it over to you and in, in your own personal experience um, in the community, uh, what transgender and non-binary mean, uh, gender identity, and any other terms you feel would be important to go over. Um, Liana, can I pass it over to you to discuss non-binary and any other terms you'd like? Yeah, definitely. Um, So I am trans non-binary. And what that means is that I don't identify along the um, binary spectrum of uh, male or female. I find myself 
not even in the middle, somewhere outside of that spectrum. I usually like to draw it kind of as a, a circle and, you know, a lot of the world stays on that line. Uh, but I myself, um, I myself like exist outside of that. Uh, Non-binary can look a lot of different ways. Um, I know that it's pretty popular to see people um, like, or I guess more of a a common thing that like a lot of non-binary people I've seen have been comfortable with this sort of an androgynous look. Uh, I myself um, tend to vary my look between mask and femme, just depending how I'm feeling that day. And I always try to kind of go for something in the middle, just appearance wise in terms of identity. uh, For me, I, Pronouns is definitely a really big thing, um, and I believe we'll get into that a little bit later, but uh, I know a fair amount of non-binary people use pronouns they, them. Um, I myself, when I came out as non-binary almost seven years ago, uh, tried they, them to see if that would fit, and it didn't, um, but I also had a, um, a boss who just didn't, like, was not into having, like, using those pronouns because she was an English major. Uh, And so she had written a performance review where she only used my first name and I love my first name. I, you know, I, Mm. I really like it. And oddly enough, that sort of like passive aggressive thing. (laughs) I mean, like something that was comfortable for me. Um, So yeah. Yeah. That is, that is really interesting. And thank you for sharing that. And uh, that's, so wild how that turned out, but I'm glad that that helped you find what you were looking for. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Valerie, would you be willing to um, help our listeners understand, understand what the term transgender means as well as any other terms you feel are important? Uh, Sure. And one thing that you just heard was Liana say trans non-binary. And it's important to remember that um, transgender typically means anyone who's not cisgender and cisgender simply means you're you're comfortable with the sex your gender identity matches the the sex you were assigned at birth and trans is an umbrella that means you don't associate yourself that way and so non-binary is often what depends on whose diagram you look at on any given day (laughs) um, is under the transgender umbrella i happen to be transgender and definitely binary. <laughs> um, I've, I've known that I was a, a little a girl since I was the, my youngest age, and I, although I transitioned very late in life. Um, but the two important things to, to, to note, or the, the two terms that are important to note, are cisgender and transgender. And uh, I see a lot of people who don't like the term cisgender, and I always ask them if they have any problem with the term heterosexual, <laughs> because it seems just as weird to to do to, to, object to the term cisgender, but then claim the title of heterosexual, which Mm -hmm. I think is is kind of funny for people to do. Um, Any other terms that I can think of? None none come to mind at the moment. Oh, thank you for for helping clarify trans non-binary. That's actually not something I've heard very often, Liana, and and I'm glad that um, you both helped clarify that. And so thank you for, for doing that. I think one other term that I thought of um, that I didn't write down was um, gender expression and how that's different from gender identity. Oh, um, yeah. And what's interesting is um, policies, it's always good to find that someone has included both of those 
in their um, policies for protection if you're working with a company. A gender identity simply means who you feel you are and who you tell people that you are. Whereas gender expression is how you choose to represent or present yourself to the rest of the world. And I very definitely present uh, as well as telling people that, yes, I am a woman. Thank you for that. Uh, Liana, anything else you wanted to add to that? Uh, no, I, I think Valerie uh, pretty much covered it. Um, yeah, I one of my favorite things to do uh, when I am kind of going over this uh, topic in person um, or, or, you know, like on a Zoom call is I use, uh, there's like the the gender unicorn, I believe is, is what it's called. And it's um, like a picture of a unicorn, but then it has um, like the brain, the heart, um, like a little arrow around the outside. And it helps you understand the different ways in which gender and sexuality interact and like where they kind of fall within you as an individual. Um, and so when Valerie was speaking, I, you know, thought about like, you know, gender identities, the brain, and then, um, you know, gender expression is, you know, the outside, like what you, what you present to the world. So. That's great. Thank you. I appreciate that, both of you. Um, so I guess we'll go to the next section of, of what I wanted to, to kind of go over. Both of you, obviously, all of our lives are so much more complex than we could ever describe, even on a, you know, a four-hour podcast. And this one's probably going to be less than an hour, maybe an hour and a half, depending on how, how much we want to share and, and discuss. Um, but I would love to know a little bit more about your story. Um, more about what it was like growing up for you um, when you first understood and, and were able to embrace your gender identity as you know it today um, and, and everything around that. I know that there's just, there's so much that you probably would like to discuss that we won't have time for, but I think it will help our, our listeners to understand um, that this is something that's probably been with you for a very long time and to help kind of break some of the misconceptions that are out there um, and if that's okay, uh, Liana, I'd love to turn it time a little bit over to you to, to share a little bit more about yourself and growing up, and then we'll, um, we'll give Valerie a chance to share her story as well. Yeah, I'm happy to. Uh, so growing up for me, I have such interesting stories, so I'll try and keep it concise here. Um, in terms of like family, so I have my mom and I have um, two sisters that I grew up with uh, until I was seven. And then my mom and I uh, moved to Pennsylvania and we lived in this really small town, the Poconos, as many people know it. And when I was growing up there, one of the things that became apparent as I was getting older uh, was that I didn't, um, I didn't uh, portray or express this hyper femininity that I guess was expected of girls um, that both of my sisters definitely um, displayed. I think it also can occasionally look a little bit different in the black community um, where uh, like you're either like really hyper fan or you're really hyper masculine and anyone in between is like questionable. Uh, and so, you know, like I'm speaking from my own experience. It doesn't mean that that's everyone's experience. And for my mom, because she wasn't seeing that display of like, hyperfem she would always like just like randomly ask me like oh hey like do you think you're a boy and I'm like no I think I just like things that maybe mm. traditionally are liked by men and 
that's okay. I don't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And so I, you know, I find myself like, I know in high school, I found myself, I was the only non-male in my um, like tech ed class because all (laughs) of the girls would take home ec and take the class where you take home the baby. I have no interest in having children. I would rather build a bench, you know, like, (laughs) like, like, like little things like that. And, you know, and that, I don't know that that's so gender specific, but because of maybe it was a small town or whatever, like it ended up being like very, very, um, very binary. Then when I went to college, I had originally, it it was interesting because like, I didn't even think about like the idea of even being just like queer um, until I had gotten into a college and I realized I started looking up their LGBTA center. That's, that's what they called it out there. And uh, I was like, Oh, I must just be looking at this because I want like, a gay friend or something um not thinking I myself was gay it did not really click until you know later when I did a whole life analysis and when I was there um I once again same thing kind of just wore whatever I wanted nothing like I've never really been into clothes because I've never felt like I've worn anything that I really truly loved uh and so I just kind of did my own thing I came out um as gay I would never take the term lesbian many reasons around that and uh it wasn't until i i think I believe it was 2014 i want to say um when i went to the philadelphia trans health conference that i really started to do like a little bit of a deep dive of my gender identity i went to the session and it was like either like it was like gender non-binary or questioning gender and I was there with a partner at the time who was transitioning and I was like, yeah, I'll go check some sessions out on my own, you know? Um, and I like went inside and on the session, I don't know what drew me there, but the person who was presenting at the time was um, Sam Brinton. And they started talking about like their journey with their self-identity and like a lot of the stuff they started to say just like made sense. And I was like, Oh wait, am I? Hmm. And so, you know, like I did a lot of research uh, after that and just like started just taking a look at um, the different ways in which like I hadn't really thought about my gender before then. It was just like everyone was like, you're a girl. And I'm like, okay, I'm a girl. Um, And then when it was like, oh, wait, that there's actually something else out there. Like other things exist. They just don't we don't have names for it because we're humans and we like to put things in boxes so that we can understand the world. And then sometimes that's helpful and other times it can be harmful. Um, And so I went to work, um, you know, like a couple weeks later and I was like, Hey, I am, you know, coming out as non-binary. I want to try like they, them pronouns. I'm going to ask everyone to use those pronouns for me going forward. Um, And I I just want to see like how that feels. And, you know, I talked a little bit about, how that went um and then eventually I moved over to just using my name um and then as I you know as the I guess as non-binary became more common people started coming out more and more about it um it was a little bit easier to not have to go into like a major explanation what it is coming out to people but uh yeah it, it it's just interesting the way that things sort of present in your life and you don't realize like what it is like what's exactly happening so yeah thank you for that and and i think what's important to understand through that is that like it, it was a journey for you right because so much of society for you know 
thousands since the beginning, thousands of years since the beginning of time, it's been so, so built on a binary system that it's the social construct of the way everything is built is so binary. And it, it's hard for, for all of us to get to a point where we're able to understand who we are. And, and I'm so glad that you were able to get to that point. And it was a journey. It was a journey for you to, to kind of discover by yourself. Um, it's funny. It's funny you said that. Cause one of the things that had happened, it, it, I hope it's okay. I didn't mean to like talk over you. It's please, just something you said resonated. Uh, one of the things you said, um, so when I was in college, um, because I was so involved with the like, center, um, we had this person come in and talk and they were telling us about like something that was kind of left out of our history books, like many things are. Um, and it was about this tribe. And I think they were called like the Burdachi or the Burdach tribe. Um, and they were a tribe of Native Americans that believed in like two spirit mm-hmm. where like, you know, like that idea of like a masculine and feminine spirit existing within one person. And, you know, like that was the first time I'd ever heard of something like that. And I remember like, you know, like they talked about like how like the colonizers came and like, you know, destroyed um, like that tribe because they didn't fit in that binary box. They were like, what are, you know, like, what are they doing? Like, let's get rid of them. And I was like thinking like, wow, like that is so like, that's so closed minded and something did exist. Like there are instances in history of like, people who are non-binary or just not like one single binary and it's just been destroyed and then removed from history books because it doesn't like fit into the, the American narrative. So something to think about. And <laughs> yes, when you said that, it just resonated. Gender is a social construct and yeah. that that's a really hard thing. I know for uh, probably a lot of our listeners to understand, it was something that was really hard for me to understand. And, you know, it's just something that over time, seeing more and more stories and instances like the one you just described um, in our, our really our tragic American history, um, just the way that we had treated, you know, native and indigenous people. Um, and it, I'm really glad you brought that up. It's a really, it's a very clear example of, of that kind of instance. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story and, and helping us understand a little bit more of, of what it means to be non-binary and from your, from your point of view, your perspective and experience. Um, Valerie, I would love to hear your story. Um, you're growing up, um, when you first recognized that you were trans transgender, or rather that you were a woman, um, would you be willing to share your story? Sure. Um, it's a 56 year story, so we'll try to shorten it up a little bit. I, I knew that I was different from my very earliest memories. And so I, I claimed the age of four is when I knew that I was different. But of course, at the age of four, I did not have the conceptual framework. I did not have the words. I didn't know how to tell anybody what was going on. I just knew that I was different. And I didn't even know to say that I was a girl. Um, I just knew that that's who I associated with. That's who I hung out with. That's who I um, felt comfortable with. And in fact, for many years, I wondered if the fact that I was being raised by a single mother and a collection of aunts uh, and grandmothers if that had some influence on me. And looking back, I, I now understand that that had nothing to do with it. Just was, however, a very comfortable uh, environment for me. 
Uh, but I knew from the very earliest, earliest age, and I can look back and I can look at different events in my life, and I can see exactly where I always took on the feminine role in play and in relationships um, and in interests and all activities. And that occurred throughout, throughout my life. Um, apparently, I exhibited some of this as well because my mother would sit down and have discussions with me about how I'm supposed to be acting. And she was trying, she was confused. We're talking late 1960s, early 1970s. And she didn't know what was going on with this, with this little boy that she had who was acting like a girl and did not help that I was being raised in Lubbock, Texas, which is the second most conservative city in the country, I'm told. Um, so she was, she was working her way through this and she was talking to me about what was going on. And I was just being me. Um, I didn't understand it really. I didn't understand the possibility of transitioning until I hit the age of about 10 or 11. When I found an article, I'm a tennis player. I love to play tennis. I've loved it since my aunts taught me to play when I was eight years old. I found this tennis article when I was 10 or 11 years old about Dr. Renee Richards. And that was the first time that I learned that physical and social transition was possible from male to female. Mm. That's the first time I understood who I was and, and what I was waiting for. And so that became a goal. Uh, it wasn't an overriding goal. It wasn't something that was f foremost in my mind at all times, but it was there from that point forward. And what a neat connection yeah. with tennis and how that's yeah. sort of such a love and passion. What a, what a neat thing. Yes, I, I love that, that. That's the. I I have no idea if maybe that's what ignited my my final passion with tennis. I have no idea. Um, but um, so I knew at that point that this is what I, I wanted. I had no idea how to get it, and I wasn't going to tell anybody. Uh, I was already in a position where I would I would act very effeminate, and that results in bullying as often occurs. And so I'm already enduring some of that. And there's no way that I'm going to tell anybody else that I am really a girl. That's only going to invite more. So you suppress it. And, um, and that's what I did. Mm. So all the way through high school, well, the grade school through high school, no one ever knew. Uh, and I didn't tell anybody. My mother, I think, had some idea, but she was doing her little best because she loved me and because she was trying to figure out the way to raise two boys as a single mom. There was no father figure in my, in my life. And so I don't blame her for anything that she was doing. She was just trying to do what she thought was right. Uh, but you no, know, we go through life with, with me um, not talking to anyone, not telling anybody and just hoping it would go away. So I'm, Brown for a very gendered religion. And so there were lots of things that would go on that were very boy centric versus girl centric. And so I was on that boy track and did all the things that were typical of a little uh, Mormon boy uh, scouts and uh, priesthood ordination and uh, scout camps, everything that was, I was supposed to do. And I could also be a little rough and tumble boy. 
there, there was no doubt about that. But at the same time, I knew that I would never really fit in with all the other guys in any given situation. So I would always kind of move myself out of the group or I was always the um, standalone is not the right word. Um, I, I was all, always a little bit of a loner hmm. and um, it helped that we moved a lot. So by the time I graduated high school, I'd been to 11 different schools and lived in 13 different houses. Wow. So that also helped shape my personality. And so I became an independent person. I became a loner and I didn't tend to join groups at all. So I've got that going for me at the same time as being transgender before I knew the word. And so those two kind of meshed together and it just kind of formed my personality of being a very independent uh, person who was comfortable being different. Hmm. Yeah, I got lots of bullying. I was always the smart kid in the room. Um, I was the one that they always wanted on the team when we were doing math competitions. But other than that, I was the weird kid. Uh, and that was my role. And, and at that point, you know, I was just dealing with all of the social interactions that go along with a bullied, effeminate nerd. That's the nerd. I, I like to claim the term nerd. And so there was no way, even as I got older, I was going to tell anyone that I was transgender. Um, there was a lot of assumptions at some points that I was gay. Mm. And when you're looking at the time frame, you're looking at, uh, I graduated in 1982 from high school. So looking at the late seventies. Mm -hmm. And of course, what was going on in the world at that point was um, a lot of revolution about uh, uh, sexuality and mm. the really the, the coming out and the, um, social understanding of, of homosexuality versus heterosexuality. So there's a lot of cultural things going on at the same time. And in fact, I think at one point my mother thought that I was gay. And so she was working on that situation because gay is not something that comports generally with our church and religious background and mm -hmm. definitely not at that time. So um, she was, again, doing her level best. So I, I go through high school, again, focusing on typically more feminine things. And in fact, um, I, in my, my senior year of high school, I was a varsity cheerleader. The mm. only cheerleader that school had ever had. And the only one on the team. So there was me and nine girls. So, but, but it was a place where I felt comfortable. Mm-hmm. And I don't even know who suggested it. I think it may have been actually my chemistry teacher who happened to also be the uh, sponsor for the cheerleading group. I, I think that. it was her idea. Yeah. And whatever, whatever, however it happened, all I know is that I, I joined that group and we were a team and I loved being a member of them and they just accepted me. And it was the first time I was ever actually in a female space where I was just one of the girls effectively. And I loved it. Um, but at the same time, I'm still got this facade going on. I'm still presenting as male. I'm not telling anyone else, anything else. Uh, fortunately, um, I, for, for me at the time, I am still only attracted to women. So after transition, I identify as lesbian. 
Um, but I fell in love, got married uh, at the age of 18. And we were married, as I mentioned uh, earlier, for 34 years. Um, we did have five kids and we have six grandkids. And I do, although I use the, the uh, female pronouns, so my pronouns are she, her, I still ask my children and my grandchildren to call me dad and father hmm. and uh, grandpa and grandfather because they already had a mother and a grandmother and I don't take her place. Um, not everybody makes that same choice. And in fact, I think mine is a little bit unusual, um, but that, that's what I want to happen within my family dynamic. For everything, everything else, I, I prefer female designations and female pronouns and stuff. But for that relationship, I'm still father and I'm still grandfather. But anyway, so I got married and uh, we were, we've got kids coming along and I've got my career going. And, uh, but at the same time, this is always in the background. And throughout my youth and into my marriage, I would often take garments from first my mother and then eventually my wife. And I was always taking them and, and dressing in them. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, I thought I was, well, the, the identity that I had was cross-dresser. Um, because I wasn't expecting to transition. I had this thing in my head from when I was 10 that I wanted to actually transition, but I didn't think it would ever happen. This was as close as I could get was cross-dressing. And so that's where I was. But at the same time, I was also dealing with all of the religious and social shame and embarrassment of being a cross-dresser because those are very real things. And so as a good little boy who didn't want this to actually happen because I've got a wife and I've got kids and I've got a career and I've got all these responsibilities, you're kind of hoping that, yeah, I know this is who I am, but I want it to go away and I hope it will go away. And so I keep thinking it'll go away. And as a kid, you know, I was thinking, oh, the first time I kiss a girl, it'll stop. Or the first time I go on a date, it'll stop. Or when I fall in love, it will stop. Uh, And then you go, when I get married, it'll stop. Uh, When I have my first kid, it will stop. And you learn that, no, it doesn't stop. What happens is you go through life, it just gets stronger. Mm. And at some point, you have to deal with it. And I remember you telling me once that, uh, or at least hearing it somewhere, that you said, you know, you felt like you were, you had a mask on your entire life. You, oh, you had this facade on your entire life and it wasn't until you transitioned that the facade came off. Exactly. And you build that facade and you create it to protect yourself because that is what you're hiding behind because you're presenting to the world exactly what the world expects of you because of your genitalia. <laughs> this is, you've decided your, your, your biological sex has been determined to be male and therefore you must be a man. And so you build that facade and you protect yourself behind it. At the same time, I'm lucky I never was suicidal. I was never depressed about this because it's my personality, I think. I just, I got lucky and and I was like, well, I can't do this now. So just deal with it and move forward. And that's just my personality. And it's special about me. It's just the draw, luck of the draw. Um. So we're going through this, though, and at some point, you know, my wife and I were having some issues. Um, 
that's my marriage is a very interesting and very different story, but we're because of some other issues, we wind up in counseling. And when I'm in counseling, I'm talking to this counselor and this is, this is, we're now getting to the point where I finally fully accept myself. I'm, I'm in this discussion with, with this, this therapist and she is trying to get me to focus on who I am as opposed to what I do. I mean, I think it's very typical when you introduce yourself to someone, you tell them all the things that you do. You tell them what you do for a living. You tell them what your hobbies are. The very things we did at the beginning of this podcast. Rarely do you tell them about who you are as a person. And so one of the things that she asked me to do was to take on this assignment of telling her who I am as opposed to what I do. And I had to do it using the most creative part of me that I could find. So in other words, I couldn't write an essay because I use words daily and I will wield them as weapons sometimes. Um, and when I sit down and write something, I want it to be perfect and I want to put the prose down in the best possible way. And so I wasn't allowed to do that. I was told that if I wanted to use words, I had to write a poem or a song or do something like that. And I didn't know what to do. So I didn't know who to, what to tell her as she tries to pull me out of the shell of hiding behind this facade that neither of us knew what was going to come out from behind it. And so I, I left that meeting with that, with that assignment and I'm driving around for about an hour and then suddenly it hits me and I knew exactly what it was that, that I had to tell her and finally fully admit to myself. And so I drove to, to Kmart, walked in and I bought a couple of and some ugly dresses and a top and a skirt and then some makeup that I had no idea what to do with. And I took it home. And at the time I was working out of town, I was working as a contractor and so I was working out of town during the week. And so I took that stuff with me out of town and I spent a couple of weeks experimenting with makeup, trying to figure out what to do. I'm trying to remember if YouTube was even around at that point. <laughs> I don't think I had much to look at. Um, but so I'm, I'm learning this. And at the same time, I'm making a videotape where I'm kind of interviewing myself about my own life to understand where this came from. Because this is going to be the first time I've ever sat down and told another human being how I felt. Um, so I, I make this videotape. Uh, and I, I, I go back to that therapist uh, three or four weeks later. And I said, okay, have a VCR ready. And so I hand her the tape. I didn't tell her anything about what was on it. And we watched it together. And at the end of it, she looked at me and she said, thank you for that. Now we have to find your style. Mm. And that was the first time I had let anyone know this about myself. And it was the first time someone had acknowledged 
She was so affirming. Me. Yeah. Me for who I was. Mm-hmm. And um, that was the moment that I first started to unpack and unload all of the shame and guilt that had mm-hmm. always been associated with this my entire life. So that was finally going away. This was um, 14 years into our marriage. And um, I was finally at a point where I could understand who I was um, separated from the shame and the guilt and finally accept it for the reality that it was for me and communicate it to other human beings. This was really the first time I was going to actually have a gender identity that I could express Hmm. and start to work on a gender expression. So my, we we told my wife, it's a a very interesting story about telling my wife that we're not going to get into all the details of that. That's more of a marriage (laughs) issue, but needless to say, my wife was informed of what was happening. And so she knew that I was transgender for the last 20 years of our marriage, but it wasn't something that she could deal with Mm. with respect to other people knowing about it. So I was closeted and again, identified as a crossdresser at that point. Uh, I would occasionally go out and um, I would go to support groups, Mm. which she actually went to and went went with me to one time, but only the first time, (laughs) never went again. And uh, it was it was basically just me uh, taking opportunities to um, express my gender, and I was able to do some things. We negotiated and we we made bargains. And so, for instance, I switched to um, feminine undergarments. And for the last twenty years of my marriage, I wore opaque pantyhose rather than dress socks. That was the kind of thing that I did to relieve the gender dysphoria, a term we haven't discussed before, but gender dysphoria is a, a feeling that um, because your gender identity does not match your body, you, um, you feel, what is the right word for that? You feel the incongruency mm-hmm. and it is detrimental to your ability to function as a normal human being. Some people feel it very strongly to the point where it's debilitating. For others, um, it can be dealt with using minor changes. And I found my minor changes. I found my compromises that let me deal with it um, for the entire period of time from the point at which my wife knew through um, after her passing and my decision to finally fully transition. But anyway, so she knew, and we would do occasionally do things. She was sometimes supportive. Uh, we we a couple of times we'd gone places out as a, as a pair of, as on a girl's trip, we went to Chicago on, a, on an all girls trip. Um, we, she would, on my birthday, occasionally we would go out and do something together. Um, another time she would weaponize it and she would be upset about it. So it was something that she could show her support in some ways, but then it was always a, a weapon that she could pull out if she needed to, to get something. And, uh, Again, more stories from marriage that we don't need to get into. But the point is that I had a, a spouse who was did not leave me. Um, she did not take my children 
away from me. Um, she tolerated it, and that was, frankly, more than I expected when I when I first told her. Uh, so I was fortunate that way, um, but it also meant that I was still in the closet as a transgender woman for many, many years. And after my wife passed away, I pulled my children aside and and I said, uh, uh, "Look, this this is my reality," um, and they'd seen some signs of it. Um, I said, this is my reality, and I will no longer not be Valerie in my own home. So when I'm at home, from now on, I will have a feminine presentation. But mm. I was still going to church and still going to work and still going out with people um, in my male facade. And that lasted um, about six months. And then I decided that I was going to start going out socially. Um as Valerie. And so I did that with all the cultural events here in town, usually going by myself, but finally being out. And then I started telling some friends. And at one, so at that point, I was now to the point where I was work and church were the only places where I was now not Valerie. And then one evening I was sitting the hardest in a lot of ways. You, you would think that would be the hardest. Now church, church was interesting. We can get into that whole discussion later. But um, work, uh, well, before I get there, so I'm sitting there one evening at uh, one of the, it's an outdoor amphitheater here in, in St. I live in St. Louis. Here in St. Louis, it's an outdoor amphitheater where they have the big musicals all, th all throughout the summer. And I'm sitting there at intermission and I look around and I just realized I am so comfortable. I am so at ease. And I am so at peace that this is my reality. And it's time to make the decision to fully transition. Hmm. And that was the point where I made that decision. And to, as, you, as you just pointed out, there were these two big obstacles. There was church and there was work. Every transgender person is deathly afraid that they're going to lose their employment if they transition. Underemployment is rampant for transgender people. Unemployment rampant for transgender people. However, uh, we started an, an employee resource group um, for LGBTQ uh, and ally employees uh, in a, around February of 2018, which was a year and a half after my wife passed away. And Someone noticed that I had gotten my ears pierced, something I did the month after my wife passed away. I finally went and got my ears pierced. Someone noticed, and they thought maybe they should invite me to this meeting. And even they were concerned. They thought they might be insulting me by inviting me to this meeting. But I went, and that was the first time I told anybody at work that I was transgender. Mm. Uh, the representative from the uh, global headquarters had come to our location here in St. Louis, which is the North American headquarters, to create this employee resource group. Uh, but in that meeting, we went around and everyone talked about why they were there and who they were. And there were about 30 people there, half allies and half LGBTQ community members. And I was the only transgender person. But that was the first time I told anybody at work. And I uttered the words kind of scared and it was just a normal response. And I'm like, okay, cool. This is easy. 
Um, but at the time, I obviously, to them, was not transitioned. But after that meeting, this this um, guy came and found me at my desk, and he said, can we talk? And he pulls me aside into one of our meeting rooms, and he says to me, he goes, I wanted to find out if you were avoiding transition because of work. And I said, well, this is not my primary thing. I've got a whole church thing going on, and I've got my family that I hadn't really discuss the possibility of full transition with. Um, but he said, I just want you to know that it is perfectly safe in your job to transition. And so that was remarkable to me. And um, at the time I said, no, that, that's not, it's good to know. Um, and I'm happy that people know that I'm transgender and if anybody else has any questions, they can come to me. And at the time I was already working with the transgender community here in St. Louis, but kind of quietly. Um, Valerie, I actually think this is a, yeah. a great transition point. No, no pun intended there, but I think this is actually really good yeah. point in the podcast. Um, it's beautiful. It's really beautiful mm -hmm. what your work was able to do and I actually have actually two questions uh, or a, a thought and then a general question for Liana and also for you. Sure. Um, for both of your experiences, um, you both felt, you both felt the way you do for, for a very long time, for a very long time back when you were very young, but it wasn't oh, yeah. until you had, learned a little bit more about just in general, what it means, words that, that expressed what you were feeling and experiencing that you were able to fully embrace it. And also there were so many aspects of society that either allowed you or prevented you from moving forward to openly express your gender identity. Um, and, and I think where I wanted to go with that is that for all of our listeners that are listening, just because you haven't met someone that is transgender, non-binary, that doesn't mean that they are not transgender, non-binary, etc. They may be in the closet still. They may be someone like Valerie or like Liana, who for a very long time, they didn't know how to fully express themselves, how to put words to who they were. And I think that's really important to understand is that how many people in our lives right now that we love and care for are feeling that their gender doesn't, doesn't match their, their, their expression that they're putting the, the facade that they're putting on for the world so that they can be protected from work or religious um, organizations or from bullying or from all of these experiences, how many people out there are going through that right now. Um, and I just think that that's really important to, to recognize and to be that safe person to say, I'm here. If there's anything you'd like to talk about that I'm here and I want you to know, I love you exactly for who you are. And if you ever want to just express how you feel, I'm here. Um, and honestly, I'd love Liana and, and then Valerie, if I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. And Liana, I know that um, Valerie was able to share a lot of, uh, a lot of her story. If there was anything that came to your mind, 
um, about your life and journey that kind of that popped up um, as Valerie discussed. I'd love to hear more about um, your story as well and anything else, any other thoughts on what I shared or in general. Uh, yeah, um, I just wanted to say, Valerie, I really enjoyed hearing your story and I'm really grateful to hear that there were those like key people in your life unexpectedly who um, were there to just like provide that validation because I think it's so important because um, I know one of the things that I um, sometimes deal with and I've you know, spoken to other like trans non-binary people is like you start to like question whether or not like is it just me? Is there just something wrong with me? And it's not until you get that outside validation, until you talk to people and meet people who are similar to you, uh, that you're like, oh, okay, no, I'm just not represented. That's the problem. That's what's missing. That's the problem. Um, and so uh, I don't, I don't know that I have anything to add. I didn't, I don't feel like anything really, um, specific came up I like kind of started to think about like the key validating people in my life uh the partner that I was with at the time when I had come out um was not really validating like this person was transitioning um on the binary and so like they were sort of dealing with their own um transition and so to like then also kind of support me just wasn't um it, they just didn't have the space to do that uh and so I had to do just sort of a lot of self-advocacy. Uh, and then I think the first time that I felt like really, really seen uh, was when I had started to volunteer with this group called OSEM and their director of, or like, this was like the vice president of in diversity and inclusion for the organization. Uh, they, were the first person that like consistently got my pronouns correctly. Mm. Um, and just like, they, like they themselves were also non-binary, but it was just like, Oh, like this is the first time I feel like I've like interacted with someone who like shares my experience. And mm. even though we were different in a lot of ways, it, it was just like, Oh, when I talk to this person, like I actually like feel my full self. Um, mm. I've had a lot of, uh, like workplaces and things like that where I've had people kind of be like oh can you explain that and then I do and because they don't get it or they don't want to like make the like mental adjustment to be like oh call this person Leanna don't use like you know like she and her um like they start to sort of like I've noticed resentment and I don't know if it's resentment or they like they think it's a game or, or whatever um but I have had it got gotten to like sort of toxic and like borderline hostile like environments working with um people who had issues around uh, my pronouns um so that's something and like that it makes it hard because it feels like when I'm at like at any workplace I don't I don't always fully feel myself unless I'm interacting with people that I know understand and truly like get it if that makes sense mm -hmm. um like one of the things that i talk about is um i've had people in my life who instead of like getting my pronoun correctly they'll they've created their own version of my pronoun which is she i mean liana <laughs> like it's like okay so you've trained your brain rather than just learning my pronouns to still misgender me and then correct yourself and now i have like a third version of my pronouns which is not welcomed but it is what it is. 
yeah, so I guess those are some of the things that have come up um, just as we were talking. I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, and I, I think that's something I is unfortunate is that even with you, you know, transitioning, coming out, that you still have to deal with it on a daily basis. And I'm sure that that Valerie also is probably experienced this, this as well as just those that either still don't understand or they, as horrible as it is, they blatantly just don't seem to want to put in the effort to show you that they do care about this very important aspect of yourself. Um, and I'm, I am glad that both of you have, have had so many people in your lives that have been affirming and supportive and have tried to make that connection with you and to ensure you that they are safe and that they want to create a safe space for you. Um, to kind of go towards transitioning um, where Valerie was, was going, Liana, um, when, what was your, your transition experience like if you had a, and I know that there's different level, different types of transition experiences, their social there, um, there are some, there's surgical, there's, um, there's different, uh, ways of transitioning. Um, what was your transition experience like? Um, and I know that Valerie is going to, uh, explain, um, her transition in, in different ways, both religious with work, with, um, everything there. Can you explain or share with the listeners your transition experience? And then we'll also go to Valerie and, and she can share her transition experience. Yeah, definitely. A lot of my transition was, I feel like a lot of it was more like social and then some of it was gender expression. So uh, one of the things I definitely started to do um, was play around with like more like not quite trying to have like an androgynous look, but just like sort of trying out male like masculine um clothing going to like stores like the men's warehouse which are very nice actually and very very trans friendly which i was surprised about I, don't, I was like i don't know if they knew i was trans but they were just like yeah what do you need like let's make you look good and i was like okay um <laughs> and so that, that was very nice uh but yeah so like it rec- like i wanted to tap into like this sort of other side um, for lack of a better term of myself. And so definitely playing around with just like my looks and how I present. Um, I have this sort of like, I don't know that it's like a joke, but it's just like this weird thing where when people, um, like, you know, just random strangers run into me or anything or just like, Oh, excuse me. If they say, sir, um, I actually like, it's, even though it's still wrong, I'm like, Oh, at least they didn't read me as female. So Mm. I'm doing something right. You know? And, you know, I feel like that's like just my goal at the end of the day is to not be read as like female. (laughs) Um, And so that, that's something that's like an interesting part of it. Uh, Another social aspect. um, I know that you're talking a bit about uh, religion is that um, my family's pretty, religious but not in a way that like I never went to church like every Sunday or anything like that um but and it's definitely well with the exception of one sister who has since then come around uh it's never been sort of like a toxic religiosity like my mom you know when I first came out was 
a little taken aback, I think, even though I think she knew on some level. Uh, and then coming out to her as non-binary has just sort of been a confusing experience to the point where I, I just have tried to stop. I've just stopped trying to explain it. And I'm like, it, it's fine. Yep, it, it's okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so for me, I haven't really felt comfortable in churches, uh, even when I just came out as queer. Um, and I think it's because a lot of the churches I've gone to have like found some way to like demonize homosexuality. And I was mm-hmm. like, Oh, if they're demonizing that, I don't even want to know what they're going to do with like a gender that's not represented in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to play with this. Uh, and so I have, um, I think I was like a little bit into church in high school, but I've moved away from it significantly in my adult life. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really, like I tell people like I'm more spiritual cause I believe there's something out there, but to like have to go and find and be accepted by, um, like a congregation or anything is just not an experience that I'm willing to put myself in right now. I I've really been in a space of just surrounding myself with people who are similar to me. So a lot of my friends are queer, trans, um, non-binary, et cetera. And so just like keeping people around me that make me feel good about myself. Um, and then at work, I think like my biggest thing, um, for me, it's mostly just like, it's honestly mostly the pronouns right now. Um, I haven't, I've, you know, I've looked in and researched if I did want to do anything physically in terms of transitioning. Um, and the only thing that I've been a little bit back and forth on um, has been top surgery. Uh, and so I don't know if that's going to be in the future for me right now. I've just kind of switched from wearing like super feminine bras to wearing primarily sports bras. Um and that's been that's been helpful for me, and that feels a lot more comfortable to me, uh, unless I'm wearing a dress that just like needs a, <laughs> a nicer bra than that. Um, so yeah, I think I think that covers everything. I feel like I was saying something else, but I may have forgotten it, and that's okay. <laughs> no, thank you, thank you for being honest and open about that. And I I know that, uh, and and Valerie can and I can both attest to it from the religious side of things, just how, how it can be really, it, it is right now in, in the religious sphere, especially Christianity in the United States and, and elsewhere, just how unaffirming um, it is towards LGBTQ people. And, and so I, I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, I've, I've actually found a, a church up in Portland, uh, the Clack Clackamas United Methodist Church, who's they're extremely LGBTQ affirming, Black Lives Matter affirming. It, it's it's been it's been really cool following them, and I really wish I'd lived there. But um, I still understand oh, that wow. it can be it can be traumatic to to even want to be in that kind of a space, um, just just out of fear of what can happen. But still, thank you for sharing your your transition experience and kind of things you're looking potentially looking forward to. Um, Valerie, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your transition experience. I know you're you're going to fully share the rest of your work transition and 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 family and uh, religious transition. Would you be willing to share a little bit more about that? Oh, sure. So, um, let me preface this with what what I normally classify the the three classes of transition, uh, which are social transition medical transition and surgical transition. Um, And so I was looking at all three of those. So I made this decision 
as I mentioned in the summer of 2018, when I decided that it was time to fully transition. And I knew other people who had already gone through this process, several of the different processes. So I spoke with a friend of mine and um, to, to understand what happened when you go on hormone replacement therapy or HRT. And I made the decision to start that in August of 2018. And then that involves um, introduction for, for me for a, a male to female transitioning person, introduction of estrogen to the body, uh, suppression of testosterone. Those two things are the typically what you're trying to address for a transgender person who's going through a medical transition. And uh, so I decided that I needed to start that then, which I did. Valerie, can um, you, would you mind helping yeah. our, our audience understand what that helps someone that is transitioning, what that helps achieve in terms of um, just for them personally, how it, it helps um, mirror what their actual gender identity is? Sure. So um, the introduction of uh, estrogen and the removal of testosterone is basically going to cause your body to go through a, in the case of, in my case, an older transitioning person to go through a second puberty. So I went through a process where the introduction of estrogen into my body produced changes, physical changes to my skin, to the distribution. Uh, not, you know, it doesn't move the fat, but it changes where fat collects on your body. Um, and so it, it's, we call it the distribution of the, of, of the fat on your body. So I get more um, fat deposits in my hips and less so around my stomach, although I could use even less <laughs> around my stomach. Um, if, causes my skin to get softer. It causes my facial features to change a little bit based upon where the fat um, moves. In my case, to my shock and surprise, it did start producing breast development. Um, so those are the positive things. And there's very emotional things that go on. Um, and I call it, I, I give it a 50-50 split. Um, I suddenly developed an absolute connection to my emotions that I did not have before. And, um, but I give it a 50 50 split between the estrogen doing it and then me giving myself permission to finally make that connection. Hmm. Um, but I know for certain that I, no matter how much permission I'd given myself, there's no way some of the things that happened to me would have happened without the introduction of estrogen in my body. At the same time, I was taking a testosterone blocker. Um, and that stops the testosterone being produced in your body, and that's going to have an effect on your musculature. So my, my muscles have been um, softening up and becoming having a more feminine profile. Um, now, I already went through a male puberty, and I lived for as, as a male for 56 years, so all the things that, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that, that did to my body have already happened, of course. But I was surprised at some of the changes that actually did occur. In fact, my endocrinologist, uh, the doctor who does monitor all my HRT, when I met with her a couple of weeks ago, she said, 
um, she made a comment about how my upper body had changed so much um, along the collarbones and stuff where my, my body has just changed a lot. There are two reasons for that. There's the HRT, which I let, I used for two years um, to, you know, change me mentally and physically. Uh, so, I, so I did HRT for two years um, and seeking those specific physical and emotional changes. And I got everything that I wanted out of that. I started that in August, 2018. Um, very quickly, my body, according to lab results, started showing normal female levels of estrogen and normal female levels of testosterone. My libido disappeared overnight and um, which was handy since I'm now single <laughs> and not seeking uh, a relationship with anyone at this time. So that was kind of handy for me. So, some people might not like that. Um, so a lot, a lot of physical changes occurred to my body um, and a lot of emotional changes. So that was my medical transition. And that's what I started before I did a social transition. I, I was partially socially transitioned before. I had a new name picked out, for instance. Um, and I knew that at some point I would legally change it. I wasn't sure when that was going to happen. Um, but now we had social transition to think about. When I made that decision, when I wanted to do that evening sitting in, in that theater, um, I had to pick a date. And because uh, one thing that I, I tell people is if you are um, binary transgender, there's no hiding it. You don't come out to one person after another at whenever you feel like coming out to that person. If you're going to transition, you're going to do a social transition. It's usually pretty obvious, mm. at least for me, it was. So I knew that what data was going to happen. So I went to my, my employer and I said, here's what's happening. I'm going to transition on January 1, 2019, giving them probably, you know, little over six months advance notice and they were on top of it. And the, the lady I worked with in HR was, she was thrilled because this was the first time she ever got to do this. And she was excited to do it. In fact, she thought I was the first person in the company. Turns mm -hmm. out one other person beat me out in one of our locations in California. So I was the second, um, but definitely her first, her, her, her first opportunity to navigate this part of the HR system. So, but they were, they were on top of everything. And uh, so I, I alerted them. So now I've started the social process. And so then I went and uh, looked into all the things I would need to do, social security and the courts and driver's licenses and passports and things like that. And so I set everything up so that in. There's so much uh, involved had, that, that people oh, really just take, don't, they take for granted just, they don't even realize just all that's involved with someone, you know, fully authentically being who they are, including your name. And there's Absolutely. so much involved. And all the legalities that go along with it. Mm -hmm. but, but I had this date and I had this time and I have all these things I'm doing, but I'm you know, also dealing with employers. And at the same time, I also went to my church and I said to them, I said, uh, 
and we I went to the, the, the leader of our of our congregation who's called the bishop. And I went to him and said, here's what's happening. I am transgender. I am socially transitioning on January 1, 2019. And the only thing I want to know from you is whether I will still be welcome at church. And so this was a surprise to him. Mm-hmm. And we had a good hour-long conversation, which I explained what all of those things I just said to him meant he had to learn all of those things and uh a month later i'm speaking to the next higher level uh authority within the church and the church does not fully support transgender or lgbtq members um and so i knew that when i went in that i would have restrictions placed upon my activity within the church um and i was almost certain I knew exactly what they would be. And it turns out they were exactly what I expected. Um, so when I spoke to that next higher level of authority, he handed me my restrictions for attendance at church. And I asked him when they would start. And again, this is in like August of 2018. And he said, well, I guess it depends on the way you look, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, and he looked at me and I said, well, how about the way I look right now? And I just, come from work i'd ridden my motorcycle in he's looking at me and he goes well i see long nails and i see that you have your ears pierced and basically those two things together would mean the restrictions need to start now Mm. now of course i had looked exactly that way for the two prior years and no one had said (laughs) a word and in fact i was teaching the older youth sunday school for those entire two years in fact i was asked to start speaking teaching that class the day after I got my ears pierced. Oh, uh, so this was, the, it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of weird, you know, but I understood what was going on. And so he hands me this restriction and he goes, well, based upon the way you look right now, I guess the restrictions would start right now. And so I said, well, if the restrictions are going to start right now, I may as well transition at church right now, mm-hmm. you know, so that's how I wound up transitioning at church in September of 2018, several months before my full social transition. So at this point now I'm, I'm Valerie and I'm presenting as female everywhere except at work. And uh, that goes on for a time. My whole congregation goes through this. Tra- anytime you transition, um, especially something as stark as, as, as mine, was uh, where it is a binary transition and there is a definite difference in in appearance um, with a very marked uh, change point. Uh, Everyone around you has to go through a transition as well. Mm. You know, they have to learn new pronouns. They have to understand a new way, if they're willing to, a new way to interact with you. And I have to say that my congregation has actually been absolutely fantastic about the way they dealt with my transition. Um, I've been nothing but happy with my fellow church members. All of my issues have to deal with the institution of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, but so that, that all worked out well. So I transitioned to church in September of 2018. And I was waiting for work to happen on January 2nd of 2019 was the first day. I walked into work 
as Valerie that day I got my new badge all my all my names had been changed my nameplates had been changed and that was the day that I was now Valerie everywhere mm. um, and all that was left at that point was the my court date which was a mid-January court date to roll around to get my name legally changed and then a couple of months after that and I dealt with all the driver's license social security passport and all that stuff taken care of so that that takes me through my medical transition, which started in 2018, and my social transition, which went in phases um, through 2018 and 19, as it became more and more public. And then, of course, in 2019 was a full transition socially, and that left medical. I'm sorry, that left surgical transition, which at some point I wasn't sure I was going to do, um, but I finally determined that, that was what I needed to do. And so I've gone through um, both top and bottom surgery. Um, so I've had um, breast uh, augmentation and had my genitalia um, transition from male to female on the bottom. And that all occurred actually a month and a half ago. So I'm actually sitting at home still in my recovery phase from, from my surgical transition. And I think for my transition, that's going to be it that I'm I'm there's so many other things that are often pursued for surgical transition um lots of lots of things can be done facial changes can be made um people go for tracheal shaves um if they're uh, male to female to, to eliminate the um Adam's apple um adjustments to the chin and the cheeks and the, and the brow, all these things can be done. And I'm comfortable with the way that I look. That is helped by the fact that I intend to remain visibly transgender and I'm not trying to disappear into the background and live what is sometimes referred to as stealth, where it is assumed by everyone who sees me that I am female and always have been. Um, I'm comfortable with people knowing my past, which is handy because I have a large family. I transitioned in a ward or a congregation where I've been a member for over 30 years. And I'm transitioned at work or a place where I've worked for almost, well, almost 20 years as an employee and longer than that as an employer or a contractor. So I was transitioning in place and not rebuilding a new life. I had this entire 50 year, 50 four-year history at that point of my life. And so I was comfortable transitioning, but everyone knows my past. And so I'm fortunately okay and comfortable with everyone knowing who I was. And um, as a result, I'm comfortable being visibly transgender and known as a transgender woman. And at the same time, I take that as an opportunity to help other people who are going through the same thing. They can see me and they can know, uh, they can look on my Facebook, which everything's public. It's, it's obvious and it is apparent that I am a transgender woman. And it also means that they know they can look at me and go, hey, I can go talk to that person hmm. and ask that person what, what it's like. Um, if they're questioning themselves, they know there's someone they can come and talk to uh, who uh, will understand what it is they're going through. And I just made it a point uh, in my life to 
do everything that I can to help other people who have gone through, who are going through this questioning and possibly even going through their own transition, who do not have it as good as I do. I have had like a miraculously, ridiculously positive transition experience, in my opinion. I didn't lose any family. I didn't lose my employment. I haven't even lost my church. I haven't lost people that I know at church. I didn't lose any friends. Um, I, I have what I consider to be one of the short, short of being independently wealthy. I have been engaged in one of the most um, privileged transitions I have had the opportunity to witness. No one that I know of who's gone through their transition has had from the point of determining they're going to transition forward has had as easy a road as I've had. And because I've had such an easy road, I try to take all of that energy that I did not expend trying to survive and stay alive and use it instead to help other people who are having to deal with much worse conditions than I've had to go through. And Valerie, I've, I've really seen that. Um, and as your friend, uh, not just as the, the host of the podcast, but as your friend, I want you to know how happy I am for you. And you. I've, you know, as I've gotten to know you over the last year or so, I've, I've been able to see some of that, that those transitions and I've seen how happy you've been. And I just want you to know that I'm, I, I'm overjoyed for you. And I'm so glad that things have worked out. And I, I've seen how much you have helped other people um, and, and been there for them. You're one of the most patient people I know, especially with, with those that don't really understand and aren't really the kindest. Um, I've seen, seen you really make a difference in people's lives. Um, I, I'm really glad you're on this podcast. Um, you really have been breaking barriers and building bridges for sure, both in, in a lot of different mm -hmm. spheres. And I'm glad that you've been able to use that privilege to help others. Um, and it, if anything, just to show what, what the world can be like when it comes to those that are, that are transitioning to, to be authentic to who they are. Um, mm -hmm. so thank you so much for sharing all of that, for being vulnerable and, and open. Um, thank you. thank you so, so much. Um, And uh, I, I thought that this might be a good place. So we, you both have been able to share so much about your story and your stories, your upbringing, what it's been like for you. Um, and I feel like that's kind of the, the bridge building side of this podcast of helping people to understand your lived realities. But what I really like leaning towards is more of the breaking barrier side of things. What are, what are areas that of society, of our culture, of, of employment, of healthcare, of so many different areas, what are things that we can do to break barriers for the trans community uh, and trans people? Um, there's a few topics that I have listed and I, I know we may not be able to get to all of them. Um, and I know Liana, you wanna cover mental health um, and support for those in the trans community. I feel like I wanna make sure that we, we cover that topic because you requested it. Um, would you be willing to kind of share a little bit of your experience around mental health um, for those in the trans community, as well as other support and networking opportunities that you, that you have been involved with um, in in your uh, social justice work? 
Yeah, I'm I'm happy to share. Uh, so yeah, I really really uh, enjoyed what Valerie had said about giving back um, because it was something that I immediately started to do when I made the transition over to tech. Was that I didn't see um, black non-binary people uh, in tech. I even when I'm like putting together um, panels for organizations like out in tech, I have a hard time finding um, like trans women of color even to put on the panels. And so wanting to see more of that visibility and then essentially mm-hmm. giving back by being that visible person and then bringing people in, you know, doing different forms of mentorship and uh, all of those things. So it, it was really good to hear that others are doing the same. Um <laughs> In terms of um, mental health, I am on this. <laughs> I'm on this journey, so uh, apologies if it's not like the most well articulated. But to um, bring more awareness um, to just mental health um, with respect to the STEM field and respect to the um, LGBTQ plus community um, in in STEM. And so a lot of my social justice work and advocacy has been uh, focused on on that. And one of the things I wish that, like as we're talking about employers and things like that, um, it's right now, I know at my job, like I'm making updates to uh, like uh, the transitioning in the work documents and transitioning at work documents and like any of the documentation around that that would be shared with other employees who uh, are on like on a team or anything with someone who is transitioning Mm -hmm. and while that's great and helpful i wish that it wasn't so like singled out if that makes sense like i want it to be just part of like all onboarding so it's Mm. not reactive when something is happening it's proactive um and so that's something that I would definitely like to see change. Uh, I constantly advocate for, um, you know, like trans inclusive healthcare to be normalized. It shouldn't be something that you're like, does your employer have this? It's like, no, no, no. Where's the information on, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and, you know, I, I see a lot of these companies and they're out like at the pride parade when it's like <laughs> fun and all that stuff. But then, you know, you get there and it's like, wait, I can't get this covered. Why? Uh, and so, yeah, I just want to see more of that. Um, and so myself personally, I am the DC chapter head for out in tech. Uh, so it's a global nonprofit that brings together the LGBTQ plus community in tech. I work to create different events for them right now. I, um, have been focused on building, like, I created and facilitated a group called Black Mental Health Support uh, for the Black LGBTQ plus community in STEM. And that came out uh, as a response to um, a lot of the social unrest that's happened this year. Uh, and I just needed to like kind of focus a little more on my community and, and bringing different resources to help them. Um, at work, I'm part of the, um, the LGBTQ plus ERG. And in my workplace, I also, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, worked on a crisis hotline um, through OSTEM, which is just out in STEM, another nonprofit that 
yeah, does similar thing. It's a, it's mostly collegiate, so it focuses on bringing together the LGBTQ plus STEM community at the college level. Um, and now there are some professional levels that are popping up and providing sort of like resources and things for, for the college students as they're making their way through. And so through that, um, through OSTEM, I'm also certified uh, as a, um, a safe talk uh, trainer and safe talk essentially is, it's a suicide alertness training. Uh, and I specifically do my trainings towards uh, like for the LGBTQ plus community um, and addressing suicide within that. Uh, and I'm also trained as a assist uh uh, assist as a suicide interventionist training. So I'm training both those things because I've seen a lot of um, things that come up within our community, like, like you know, of the LGBTQ community, like the trans population um, is at the highest risk uh, when it comes to suicide. And, you know, part of that is, is a result of like my own mental health struggles. I think that's part of like my motivation to work uh like work with the community and, and bringing awareness um, to suicide because like even just saying it is so taboo in our culture. Uh, and I've been advocating within um, these different groups that I volunteer with and things like that um, to have more people trained in it so we can recognize it um, because they think that, especially in STEM, there's this assumption that once you're in like, a tech field or something like that like you've made it like you're 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 safe like mm. you have nothing to worry about and it's like no no i'm still a person like i'm still dealing with like um you know like dysmorphia and things like that um and i just want it to like not be forgotten about while we're celebrating other things um so yeah i think i think that covers it for me on that end um, could you could you briefly help our listeners understand the importance of of you know looking out for um, those that may be suicidal in the LGBTQ community in the sense of like how how it affects the community differently than than other groups? Um, I know that I believe that the percentage is quite a bit higher, and you know, that is obviously due to a lot of, of social reasons, but would you mind elaborating a little bit on that and the importance of, of mental health in that area? Yeah, I'm happy to. The, so the importance, there's less resources for this, for, for our group, like for, for LGBTQ plus people, and then going even more specifically um, for trans and non-binary people, like there aren't as targeted resources. And so like, for me, if I'm, um, if I'm dealing with mental, like, if I'm dealing with suicidal ideation, I, I know, I'll actually talk about, like, a personal experience with this. So I was, um, this was about two years ago, and I was just, like, in a really bad place, and I knew, the only thing I could think of was, like, the Trevor hotline, and for, for those who don't know, um, you know, Trevor is a, it's a, like, uh, like a life, it's kind of like a crisis line that you call if you feel like you're at risk of hurting yourself but it specifically is targeted for those under 24 uh and so I was 30 at the time and I called because it was the only thing I could think of and you know like for anyone who suffer, suffered from suicidal ideation 
you need something that's like quick and easy to go to because your brain is literally trying to like kill itself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I contacted them and they started talking there. I guess, I don't know, maybe my text messages were a little too formal and they're like, Oh, Hey, by the way, like, we just have to ask like, how old are you? And I'm like, Oh, I'm 30. And they're like, oh, okay, well this is usually for those 24 and under. I'm like, I know, but I don't know what other resource to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like, you know, I, I know about like the national suicide hotline and you know, there's a chance I might get someone who understands these reasons, but there's also honestly a chance that I might get someone who doesn't. And it's just like, like, I don't like, if I'm there trying to keep myself safe, I don't want to have to explain like what non-binary is and like all the different factors that like are leading me to call this as a result of that. Like, I don't want to have to over explain myself. So it's really important to, be aware of this because if we're aware of it then we can work to actually create those resources um so i know one of the things that oh i'm i wish i had remembered to write down the name of it but uh there's actually a website where you can find like queer friendly or identified like people of color therapists because you know Mm -hmm. i talked to um, a lot of people who are in therapy and um it works (laughs) for some but sometimes like you really just want to find a therapist that has the same identity as you Mm -hmm. and there's so few um people within our community who are doing that work or there are enough of them or there are a lot of them but there's too many of us right and so you're finding that balance of I want to go talk to someone who knows what I'm going through who's been through it can like talk me through it because of their experience and we don't have that and so a lot of this is around the fact that like there is a high demand and there's um, a very low supply of what's needed to keep our community safe. And the only way to fix that is to bring more light to it and like elevate the need that is there, but might be um, just overlooked because there's so many other things we want to take a look at. And there's so many other things that are even just happening. Um, So, yeah. I really appreciate you sharing all that, Donna. Like uh, going to someone and being able to open up and be and share that you know suicidal suicide um, suicidal thoughts, ex- just pains, experiences that that someone's facing. It, it takes, like you said, it takes so much of the burden off if they if the person you're talking to it looks like you knows what you're going through. You don't have to explain yourself. You don't have to try to help them understand because that just puts so much more of the burden on the person that needs the help. That's already in a, in a mental place that they're just not, they're not going to be capable of, of really trying to walk that person through that experience to help them understand. And, you know, it coming for me as a, you know, as a white straight cisgender man, like, there are lots of resources that are available for me and that that is we need to be able to think about our communities um that that don't have all the resources that they need and and i know that because of um um because of homophobia transphobia there's there's so much negativity and and abuse in the world especially in the united states we need to have these resources and the work that you're doing to help to help those that that need that lifeline, um, that support. And so I really appreciate you sharing all of that. And 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 
uh, I, if you have resources that you'd like to share, I, I would be, I'm totally fine with, uh, or would be, would love to, to share them inside the post uh, as I share this on social media. Um, and so that way other people have these resources that they can share with others. Um, if you'd be willing to do that, that'd be great. Yeah. I'm happy. I'll send you some right after. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, I know we're coming up a, a little bit late on on the podcast. I don't. I I really appreciate both of your time. What there's a few other things I wanted to cover um, before we we end today's podcast. Um, going along the lines of breaking barriers, I really want to talk about trans rights in social justice work in the United States. Um, and there, I know there's a lot of work that's going on right now. And I also realize that um, this in this election cycle, there have been. Um, there's been some major wins um, for uh, for the Senate, for uh, House of Representatives. Uh, it's been it's been a really beautiful thing to see. Um, but there's there's way more than that. And I know that this this year and especially, you know, this this presidency over the last four years, that there have been a lot of things that have been harmful. Um, and there's also been a few wins that have happened to, to fight back against what everyone's been facing. Uh, I'd love to hear both of your um, thoughts on ways that we can break break barriers for the trans community, for those that are non-binary in, in general that, that are absolutely needed, not just in the United States, but maybe even across the world, especially across the world. Um, and Valerie, if it's okay, I'm gonna go to Liana one more time and then I'll come back to you. Um, Liana, would you sure. be willing to share some of your thoughts on just some of the work that you've done? And then I'll, I'll, I'll go back over to Valerie. And this can actually yeah. be an open conversation, even if, if in, in this section, I'd love to hear just open conversation thoughts you both have. It's so funny. I was actually going to ask if Valerie could go first while I thought about and organize my thoughts. Sure, I don't yeah. know, Valerie, would you be comfortable? <laughs> I'll, I'll open it up to both of you to just discuss different things. I'm just going to be making up stuff anyway. <laughs> so um, it. I do want to I do want to step back for just a moment because uh, Liana made a comment about not knowing who to contact, and uh, Liana, you said you only could think of the Trevor Project, which is perfectly understandable. There is a transgender suicide hotline, um, and uh, a friend of mine who is a uh, therapist who works with LGBTQ youth um, has confirmed this is true that the transgender suicide hotline is the only hotline that will not call the police if you call them. They promise they won't do it. Now, others, others may choose not to. I don't know what their rules are. But it is part of the um, uh, mission of, of the, trans, the transgender suicide hotline. It's called Trans Lifeline. Uh, they will not call the police just because you call them unless you ask them to do so. You, you have to give them consent before they will do it. So especially for transgender people who need to call for that kind of uh, support, um, they, they can do so and they know they can do so without having to trigger a um, wellness check from the police if they don't want it um, or other, other things like that that are sometimes not, not wanted by the person who's calling. Um, okay, so back to your question, what can we do and the number one thing I think that can be done is simply reaching out and understanding or trying to understand what another person's life is like. Um, 
one of the reasons why I make everything on my Facebook page public and open for anyone is because I want people to ask questions. I want them to know that there's someone who's comfortable answering their questions. And in general, it is inappropriate to ask a lot of the questions that you might want to ask to a transgender person. You really shouldn't walk up to a transgender person and say, hey, are you transgender? Um, you shouldn't walk up to them and ask about their transition. You shouldn't ask them about medical transition or social transition because they're just human beings and you just want to interact with them the way that you would interact with any other human being mm -hmm. that you encounter. At the same time, when you find people who have made it publicly known that they're transgender and open to discussion, or if someone comes to you and um, privately tells you that they're transgender and they establish a relationship with you, sit down and listen to their stories because their stories, if you are not transgender yourself, are going to be very different than yours. And you can't learn to break a barrier in society until each individual person has had that opportunity to listen to a story. Um, personally, um, Liana has talked about the things that she's doing within the community and especially working within tech and mentorship. And my efforts haven't been in that area. My efforts have been focused more about what goes on within my church and helping to create spaces within the church that are safer for all LGBTQ members, not just transgender, so that they don't feel that once they accept who they are and maybe decide to start expressing who they are to the rest of the world, that they have to leave the church um, because of the policies that the church has in place. Some say doctrine, some dispute that. That's a question for a different time. But we know absolutely that the thing that changes someone's heart most quickly is building a relationship. The, the one thing that we know that changes people's hearts is establishing relationships with someone. And once you get to know someone who is any of the letters, LGBTQ, and get to know them as a person, that's the point at which you can finally... Um, begin to understand them and actually understand that there's so little difference between them and you that the differences that do exist are inconsequential to your relationship. Thank you for, for sharing that. I think that's, that's really important. And um, with, uh, with Biden and Harris, the presidency that's coming up, um, in the United States, I have personally really loved that they have called out attention and awareness to the trans community in multiple, uh, Facebook posts uh, or social media posts, um, in, in addresses. I think it was in the, the, the announcement of, um, that they had gotten enough electoral votes, so that's that was something that was really beautiful, and I saw so much um, appreciation in the trans community online from that. 
um, from just that representation and, and awareness acknowledgement. And so, like you said, until we are willing to understand and listen and acknowledge someone else's reality, that's, that's the first step to, before we can start building those bridges. And yes. so I, I totally agree with what you just said there. And I was actually surprised to see that um, Biden was tweeting about the Transgender Day of Remembrance mm. on Friday. So That was beautiful. That's awesome. so. Liana, uh, thoughts that you had that may have uh, come up? I mean, everything Valerie said was, I think, I just agree with it. I, I don't know that I have too much to add there. Um, I just think that, like, I'll echo again that visibility is really important. Um, I get very like giddy and feel very seen when I see like any trans person on in like media, um, you know, read about like if I'm like reading a story and it has like a trans character and all those things, I think all of that's really important uh, because like the more that we see that, the more that it's normalized. And I know that that like, at least for me, that's one of the goals is just to like see, um, well, I can even talk like, so I'm a horror movie buff and I was watching um, American Horror Story season that 10 because, or maybe it was nine, I don't know. But to see um, Angelica Ross playing a woman and like being trans wasn't part of the narrative. Like anyone watching it knew her and knew her story, but you got to like, just see her like in a storyline um, that wasn't just about her identity. It was also just like, it was just her as a person existing and like being in this like horror themed TV show. Um, I want to see more of that because I know that that's definitely a goal of a lot of people, especially like in in the media industry um, to be given those types of roles. Um, And then just in terms of like the work I do with STEM, I've had people come up and, you know, after a panel or something, being like, thank you. I, I haven't seen someone who is non-binary on one of these panels before. I haven't seen someone who's Black and non-binary on one of these panels before. Mm-hmm. Um, like, just visibility is so important. Um, and then, yeah, and then being open. Uh, you know, in, in other jobs, I've, I've had the opportunity to create um, – trainings that were specifically around educating coworkers um, around trans issues. Uh, I, um, you know, created and delivered a training that was called Exploring Gender Beyond the Binary, where I went and, you know, like, it was very interactive training that discussed, like, different gender identities, the importance of pronouns, um, you know, we talked pretty extensively around allyship, um, even practiced, like, putting, like, um, learning one's pronouns into practice. And just doing all of those things to, as Valerie said, like open the conversation, have people learn more about other humans who just have different life lived experiences. You know, a question comes to mind, and I simply assume that both of you have seen Disclosure. I have not seen Disclosure yet. Have you seen it, Jonathan? My to-do list. Ever since you brought it up, I have yet to watch it. And it actually came to my mind when we were talking about um, trans representation in in the media. Um, and so, yeah, I absolutely, absolutely want to see it. But if you if you have insights or thoughts on that, I know that was a really um, a very impactful 
um, I think it was a, was it a movie or document. I think it's a documentary. Is that right? It's it's a documentary, and I didn't double check. I believe all of the people they have speaking are all transgender, um, whether binary or non-binary, and it goes through and and discusses the portrayal of transgender people for the last hundred years in media. And it basically tells the story of how the public's perception has been shaped to perceive transgender people, always as a villain or a clown or a victim. And that has just produced the wrong perception of transgender people throughout our entire uh, social construct, especially in the U.S., and I mean, it, it, it's, it's really important to watch and to understand where someone who is not transgender, where they got their own perceptions of what a transgender person is actually like. And it's, I mean, and it's, um, we can go through the comedies of the 50s. Um, we can look at, they looked at things as recent as Law and Order SVU. Um, the whole gamut and in every case until recently if the transgender person was in the media it was as a foil or a victim or whatever was going on Um, changing now obviously Um, and we have we definitely have some uh, transgender and and non-binary actors who are finally moving into those roles and actually being in roles that are cons- where the character is LGBTQ and the actor or actress or the actor is also that same gender identity or uh, sexual identity. That's important. Um, as Liana said, representation really, really matters, specifically because it, it, it shapes public perception. Um, a few other thoughts that also, um, came to my mind were, I believe the Supreme court changes this year, I I think it's earlier this year that protected all LGBTQ individuals from, um, non-religious workplace, um, like basically being fired for being LGBTQ. Is that right? I believe that was the the case that was a, a big change where that went across all, 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 all the states in the United States. Yes. And what I, one of the things that I cling to is, as, as we went through this whole um, uh, nomination and um, what's the right word? Uh, installation of of Judge Barrett, mm-hmm. um, and there was great concern about the fact that she is considered to be very conservative. Um, I was uh, comforted by the idea that the decision you're referring to was a six to three decision. It wasn't your typical five to four, barely made it out the gate. It was a six to three decision. Mm. And even the dissenters um made comments in their dissent, as I recall, in support of 
LGBTQ issues and simply made a note that they were dissenting based upon the way the laws are currently written. That's mm-hmm. what I remember. I didn't spend a lot of time dwelling over it. I was just happy that the, 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 the protections went into place and um, which, which is good. I, I, I'm already in a place where I feel protected because of my company, but I also know that if I were to ever leave my job, I'm going to have to deal with those same issues. And so I'm very glad to see those protections are now in place uh, and considered to be part of our of law. And finally have uh, a decision made that, that says, look, LGBTQ, specifically transgender people are protected uh, mm-hmm. from employment discrimination. And that, that's not to say that the trans community won't still receive discriminations in, in general or microaggressions or things like that. But I know that they're protected from being fired because they are trans or because yeah. they are gay or, um, and that in and of itself is a, is a huge win for states that, you know, very, have very conservative leaning, very religious leaning, um, just mindsets and, and, that it's okay that if it's my business, I can do what, what I want. Um, unfortunately, that that's it, it's it's so toxic um, to have that kind of mindset in general. And, and luckily, this is this will make a huge difference, uh, at least in that area. Um, but we still have a lot of work to do for, to make sure that our trans people are are free from you know bigotry in in that area. Um, you can put all the laws in place that you want. But if someone decides that they have a, a ideological difference with you, they're going to find a reason and a way to fire you. So the issue is not that we have the legal protections in place. The real, the real need is to change people's minds and understanding of who transgender people are. You're right. One of my best friends said that, you know, you can't, you can't legislate kindness. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Leon, did you have any other thoughts on some of uh, some of this topic? I, I had one other thing I wanted to share um, that went along with helping people understand, um, but I wanted to make sure you had a, a chance to share any other thoughts on that. Oh no, nothing, nothing to add to that. Okay. Um, there, no, thank you. Um, one of my best friends uh, is a trans man, and I love him to pieces, and he's helped me. Um, really try to understand he was basically the one of the first entry points into the lgbtq space especially the trans space and um he was kind enough um to gift um, my kids uh, a book that says it feels good to be yourself a book about gender identity and i really appreciated reading that book to my to my children um and it's been really beautiful to help them understand that that there that there are different people in the world that aren't boys or aren't girls or and or they rather the what their parents thought they were that's not who they really are and that they become themselves as they grow up and to help my children understand that I love them no matter what and as they discover more about themselves and who they are and um and so the, I'm it's been really awesome to see that there is more representation for the trans community uh, to, and just to build more, like you said, Valerie, more awareness, more understanding 
And as parents and the next generation come up understanding and being more loving and inclusive, I'm hoping that that those barriers will be broken. Like you mentioned, um, this is especially true. It'll it'll open up that compassion door and and, I'm sorry, go ahead. This is especially true with children because people have made comments that there seems to be this, this um, outbreak of children or youth coming out as transgender. Like Mm. it's something new, like, like, like it's, and there's even books, written out papers written out calling it a fad but it's important to remember that this isn't new it's just new to some people and specifically mm-hmm. people who are suddenly seeing it if it weren't new there would not be people like me who at the age of 54 are finally transitioning mm-hmm. i would have loved i would have given almost anything to have been transitioned when i was a child and to live my life and grow up um, transgender, yes, but as female. And to mm-hmm. not to have gone through, um, if I had access to puberty blockers and could have stopped my, my puberty and gone through a normal female puberty as opposed to a male puberty, I would have loved to have done that. And I knew that I would want to do it, but it wasn't an option for me. So um, it's not new. Uh, it's not something that is suddenly appearing. It is something that's always been in our society, but our society has chosen to hide it. And until our society chooses to stop ignoring the things, it's still going to be an issue. Can I can I add on that? Please. Yeah. Um, so aside from it not being new, like also there's just like, as it like just it goes back to what we were talking about before with representation like it's more visible and so kids are understanding what's going on they're understanding their feelings they have people that they can look up to they have books that they can read and see themselves in and so instead of hiding like there's almost like this feeling of empowerment to be like oh no nothing's wrong i just need to like let my parents know that i you know, they made a mistake when they assigned me, you know, X, Y gender at birth. Um, and like, it just needs to be corrected, you know, prefer- preferably before I become an adult. Um, and I think that that's like one of the other things is like the reason it seems new is because it was so hidden. And now that it's out, now that there's language for it, now that there are like prominent, even children just out there, like being advocates, being visible. Um, it's like, oh, we don't have to hide anymore. Okay, cool. Like, you know, like we can all come out now. This is great. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So let's add on to that. I mean, it used to be, if, if you go back and look at the story of Christine Jorgensen, who is the best known U.S. person for having a sex assignment. She wasn't the first, but she was very well known. And she was lauded by the public. She was a celebrity. This was a big deal when Christine Jorgensen came out. And but in the 40s and the 50s, this suddenly got pushed under the rug and it became bad. Uh, And society chose to push things into a shall we say puritanical (laughs) direction. Um, but it hasn't always been this way. 
and there are there are examples throughout history and all cultures of third gender i i think you may have mentioned did you mention two-spirit earlier yeah mm-hmm. yeah yeah these have always been with us it's only society's choices on how to interact with people like us who don't fit this binary that everybody wants us to fit into it's their choices and how they interact with us that makes the biggest difference and if we if we can just you know build the relationships and drop as you've said jonathan get the barriers dropped break through the barrier um build the communication build the relationship then we can finally start to help the community the lgbtq community the transgender community begin to heal from the societal wound that they've had to deal with for so long thank you valerie and and thank you liana and um i think that's a, a really good place to end on um the only thing i'd like to add is um i it would be uh it would be unfair and unjust for me to acknowledge Transgender uh, Day of Remembrance um, that happened on Friday. And I appreciate you both being on the podcast, um, kind of in honor of that, to remember the lives that have been lost um, the tra- in the trans community. Um, there have been many tributes that have been done, but just the acknowledgement that um, the trans community is, is suffering from um, many kill deaths by by killing by murder um especially those uh, of black of black trans women um and we need to do better and we need to um show our love and support and i say we i mean those of us that are in in a place of privilege to just share the knowledge and, and, and awareness and understanding of those that are that are transgender um and Valerie and, and Liana, thank you both for, for sharing your experiences and insights. Um, and I hope that if there's at least one or two people, hopefully many more that, that listen to the podcast, that their hearts will be changed, um, that they will let the barriers down in their own hearts and that they'll be able to build bridges and reach out and, and try to protect those um, that are marginalized and those that are in the trans community. Um, and I really appreciate you both being on here. Is there any last thoughts, um, any final thoughts that you'd like to share before we uh, before we sign off? Um, I this, this is one that I always uh, tell people about transgender people, and that is often someone is afraid to let someone know who they are. But everyone deserves to be loved for who they are. And to be loved for who they are, people have to know who they are. So it doesn't mean you have to transition. But if it is safe to do so, I always recommend at least letting someone know, coming out and saying, look, this is who I am, rather than burying it inside and dealing with all of the um, psychological trauma that comes from doing that. It can be very painful to bury it, but we do deserve to be loved for who we are, and we should have the opportunity when it's safe to do so to tell people who we are. 
Thank you. Liana, any last thoughts that you'd like to share? I think the the only thing that um, comes to mind is just a request for people to just be open. Um, there's a lot of ways in which our view of society, the world, etc., has all been kind of like forced onto us, and we are entering this space um, of change. That I mean, I you know, Kate change is constant and so it's always been a thing but um especially around this topic like people are going to continue to come out as trans people are going to continue to come out as non-binary and they deserve the same rights as everyone else because at the end of the day we are all human and we all have different experiences um and like there's so many resources available now um that weren't available like many years ago. So just asking those who are listening, just go out and educate yourself. Um, you know, reach out to people that you hear talking on podcasts, on panels, things like that. If you have questions, um, volunteer at a place that, you know, centers trans non-binary people of color. Uh, there's lots of ways to do little things to just sort of, I guess, help, continue to put forth more good in the world and to help um, a community that's severely marginalized, um, you know, continually at risk in a number of different ways. Uh, And all of it just kind of starts with those who are in those positions of power and privilege, educating themselves and then making a concerted effort to do better, knowing that you are going to make mistakes and that's okay. Um, but that you you learn from them and then you continue to do better as you move forward. Wonderful. Thank you both so much for all of your insights and sharing your experiences. Um, and I, I, I wish you both the best and all the good that you're doing. Um, and uh, I really appreciate both of you. I appreciate your friendship and uh, we'll definitely have to, to have you both on again sometime in the future to hear more about your your journeys and experiences and, and the good you're doing. Thank you all again for tuning in to another episode of the Building Bridges, Breaking Barriers podcast. I hope that you'll be able to take the things that you learned from Valerie and Liana and go out into the world and build bridges of understanding for those in the transgender community and seek ways to, to break barriers to create a more just and equitable society for all. And I look forward to talking to you all again on the next episode. Take care.